0: open to us the wonder of your word and the amazing truth of your salvation plan. Uh, Help us to see how this Old Testament passage uh, points to Jesus and fits into your salvation history. Uh, So we do ask that you would open our eyes of our hearts and help us to see also its relevance for us today, we pray. Amen. The young woman blinked in disbelief as the truck loomed large in the windscreen. With a sense of horror, uh, there was barely time for her to compute what was happening. The impact was sickening. The dull, hollow thud of metal on metal. Screeching noises, cascades of shattered glass, and then darkness. When she regained consciousness, It was many hours later in a local hospital ward. Slowly, she was able to piece together the sequence of events. The driver of the car in which she was a passenger had turned out of a side road straight into the path of an oncoming truck. Uh, He was German and was not used to driving on the other side of the road in the UK. Uh, Both of them had just started Bible school. That young woman would never fully recover from her extensive injuries. Even after nine operations over a ten-year period, problems persisted with her joints. She had only just become a Christian a couple of years before the accident, and it was to be a time of severe testing of her faith. What a test of her faith it must have been. She could of course have reacted with bitterness. As she could have turned against the Lord for allowing this to happen to her. But instead and wonderfully, she kept trusting in the Lord and in his goodness. She responded with faith. Sooner or later, the time comes for all of us when our faith will be tested. It could be tested by a period of ill health, like Kathy's. Or it could be due to a work crisis, or a relationship struggle, or financial difficulty, or bereavement. Uh, Some of you here can look back on such moments when your faith has been sorely tested. Uh, For others, that time may be just around the corner. And for others still, you may be in the middle of such a testing time at this very time. And the question is this, how will you respond in that time of testing? What will you do? For King Ahaz and the people of Judah, at that moment, that time of testing had come. Here in Isaiah chapter 7, we're taken back to the 8th century B.C., However, the choice that faced Ahaz and the people of Judah back then is the very same choice that you and I face in our lives when we face testing times. When the crisis comes, will we stand firm in our faith and obedience? Or will we give way to fear and disobedience? Chapter 7, verse 1 provides a window into the historical context. Let's look at it again. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. If you're with us Two weeks ago, uh, we were in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, there we learnt that God called Isaiah into ministry in the year that King Uzziah died, which was around 740 BC. And by the time we come now to chapter 7, uh, it's five years later, uh, 735 BC. Uh, the crisis of Isaiah's generation is now upon them. And the question is, how will Ahaz and the people of Judah respond. And the answer sadly is not very well. Ahaz and the people get into a real flap. Look at number verse 2. Now the house of David was told Aram has allied itself with Ephraim so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So they're in a real flap. And it's at this point that the Lord intervenes. He sends the prophet Isaiah to the king with a message. Verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shira Jezuhub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. You see what he's saying? Don't panic. Uh, trust me, I can deal with this, says the Lord. These in- invading kings that seem so terrifying to you, they're no match for me. They are a spent force. For me, they are as easy to deal with as snuffing out two smoldering cigarette butts. Just relax, I'm in control. And indeed, Ahaz has every reason to trust in the Lord. Uh, despite his people's Failure at God's covenants with the throne of David still stood. And God was still with his people. And God would not abandon them if they would only trust him. But the key question is this. Would they trust him in the time of testing? God is their ally. And he invites them to trust him. And yet to choose not to trust him is ultimately an act of self-destruction for them. Because verse 9 has this warning note. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. When we think about ourselves today, the challenge to us from the Lord is exactly the same. When we are faced with a crisis we have a choice as to how we respond. It can be with faith or with fear. And when a crisis hits, what is the temptation? It is to panic, is it not? It is to be filled with fear. It is to allow our anxieties to overwhelm us. But the Lord says this, be careful and be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. Trust me, says the Lord, I'm in control. Stand firm in your faith. Or, as those retro posters would say, keep calm and keep trusting. Let faith conquer fear. But in Ahaz's case, uh, the very opposite happened. Fear overcame faith. Uh, He refused to trust God and his heart was hardened just as was warned in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Uh, When Isaiah met him, uh, Ahaz was inspecting Jerusalem's water supply. He was preparing for the siege. Uh, Faced with this crisis, he was preoccupied with the practicalities of survival. Uh, He wasn't looking to God. He was rushing around, uh, trying to ensure that all the bases were covered. And in 2 Kings... Chapter 16, verse 7, we learn what else he had been up to. Look at this. Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, "'I am your servant and vassal. "'Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram "'and the king of Israel, who are attacking me. "'And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord "'and in the treasuries of the royal palace,' and sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. How tragic. Instead of looking to the Lord to save him, Ahaz looked to an alliance with Assyria. You see, Ahaz knew it was forbidden in God's law to make treaties with pagan nations, and yet it didn't stop him. He trusted in human policies rather than divine promises. So, when the crisis comes, what will you do? The story of Ahaz uh, exhorts us to choose differently. Uh, He panicked, his faith failed, and he disobeyed. Uh, Crises do come in many different shapes and sizes, Uh, It may be uh, turmoil in our families where relationships are strained and fractured. It may be uh, the challenge of being single. Of course, not all single people want to get married, but for those who do, it can be a testing time as a Christian, especially as you get older. Will you keep trusting that the Lord is good and he is in control? And what if you meet somebody who's not a Christian? There's a mutual attraction and interest, but you're not sure that they really believe. What will you do? The temptation in any testing time is to let fear about the future overcome our faith. It could be the challenge for a married couple who are facing the trauma of trying for children without success. Or maybe married people who have children but are feared with fear about their future. You see, for all of us, in different ways, challenges will come to our faith. And the question is, will we trust and obey or will we default to fear and disobeying? Because scripture warns us, if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. So, uh, to help Ahaz go the way of faith, uh, the Lord offers him a sign to confirm his word. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign. Uh, What an amazing offer. God is saying, I will prove to you that I am who I claim to be. I will prove to you, I'll give you a sign to show you that I am in control, that you can trust me. But sadly, Ahaz is not interested. Verse 12. Uh, but Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. He sounds very pious, doesn't he? But actually, really, he is just wanting to cover up his refusal to believe. If the Lord does give him a sign, then really it is incumbent on him to respond positively to the sign And to put his trust in the Lord. And yet he doesn't want to do that. He's already put his trust in the king of Assyria. For him, he'd already concluded the path of faith was too hard. He decided to live by sight and not by faith. He'd made up his mind to go his own way. And in so doing, he sealed the fate of his generation. But the Lord gives him a sign nevertheless. Verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This, of course, has to be one of the most famous verses of Isaiah. However, behind its familiarity lies a problem. What was the sign? And when was it fulfilled? Because the context in Isaiah indicates that the sign will be fulfilled in Isaiah's day. Look at verse 16. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. And then we get to chapter 8. And we realize that the, the child referred to is actually Isaiah's own son. Chapter 8, verse 3. Then I went to the prophetess, this is Isaiah, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him Maher Shalal Hasbass. The child born to Isaiah was the sign of what would happen. His name was an important part of the sign. He was called Maha Shalal Hazbass, or to his friends, Baz. And his name means this, quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. You see, the name was significant. It indicated what God would do to Judah's enemies. They would be plundered by Assyria. Verse 4 of chapter 8. Uh, Before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. And of course, if you know anything of your Old Testament history, uh, that is what comes to pass. Uh, Syria falls to the Assyrians in 732 BC, and Israel those ten northern tribes, follow suit in 722 BC. But God's judgment wouldn't stop at the doors of Assyria and Israel. God would bring judgment on the faithlessness of Judah and Ahaz. Assyria, we're told, will rise like a flood, not only engulfing Syria and Israel, but Judah too. And yet, the Assyrian devastation would not be total. Judah would just survive like a person standing on tiptoe to keep their head above floodwaters. Look at chapter 8, verse 7. The Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, that is, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp, and it will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And that too came to pass. In 701 BC, Assyria overruns Judah. You see, uh, there was yet another component to the sign that was fulfilled in Isaiah's day. Uh, The message of Bazaar's young life was, Emmanuel, God with us. And the point is this. God would bring judgment on his faithless people, but he would also still be with his people and he would preserve a faithful remnant. The floodwaters of Assyria would come up to their neck, but it would not overwhelm them. God would still be with them. And if you with us when we looked at Isaiah chapter 6, you will remember that the remnants, these survivors, are referred to as the stump with the holy seed. And in time, the flood of Assyria would indeed abate and fade from history. And yet, the faithful remnants in Judah would remain. And so, in contrast to trembling Ahaz and the majority of the nation, a faithful few like Isaiah and his followers face the future with a serene confidence. This small remnant of the faithful, uh, they knew that the military and plotting, uh, political plotting of Assyria of Syria and Israel and Assyria would not ultimately prevail against God's purposes. Uh, it is them who say these words in chapter 8, verse 10. Devise your strategies, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. But the sign prophesied by Isaiah would have a second and greater fulfillment. It was fulfilled in the short term by the birth of Baz, Isaiah's child in chapter 8, but ultimately it was fulfilled 750 years later, in the birth of Christ, as Matthew, of course, confirms in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Speaking of uh, Mary's pregnancy, uh, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This child really was born to a virgin. And he really was, Emmanuel, God with us quite literally. Of course, we as a race face a coalition of powers more hostile than Syria and Israel. We face the alliance of sin and death. And yet God does battle for us against these evil adversaries. And on the cross, Christ secures victory over them. And through faith in Christ, we share in that victory. God, you see, is our ally. Uh, God can be trusted. Uh, His ways are often not our ways, and yet his ways are always the best ways. And therefore, he calls us to walk each day, hand in hand with him, living by faith and not by sight. And so the rest of chapter 8 in Isaiah is essentially a call to the faithful remnants to remain faithful and not to be fearful. Isaiah 8 verse 12. Uh, Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread and he will be a sanctuary. Isaiah and his family and his followers were to be this core of a faithful remnant who would keep going in faith. And the exhortation over the centuries since then has been for people to join that faithful remnant. Those were dark days for the people of Judah. Their king was faithless And their own faith was failing and judgment was coming. And yet God was still working out his purposes in the darkness. So as we pull the strands together, uh, what do we see? Isaiah chapter 7 to 8 highlights the importance of faith, especially in dark times. Uh, Why was the judgment coming? It was a judgment on faithlessness. Ahaz and the people, they refused to trust God. And so God's judgment fell. Faith is vital. The thing that marks out the people of God from everyone else is simply faith in the Lord. And the coming judgment is in the end on those who do not or will not believe. Sometimes you hear people say, don't you... uh, Why doesn't God reveal himself more clearly? Why doesn't God give me a sign? Then I'd believe. But really, God's signs are all around us. In his grace, God has overwhelmed us with signs, and they are there to nurture our faith in him. The great sign of Christmas is the virgin being with child, His miraculous birth points to him being God's saviour of the world. Uh, This child's adult life and ministry was full of signs. Eyewitness records uh, talk of the miracles he performed and they are recorded to encourage people to believe. Uh, You'll be familiar with John's Gospel. We've studied it together, of course. Uh, It is full of Signs, and indeed, some people refer to the gospel as the book of signs. And the ultimate sign, of course, was what Jesus refers to as the sign of Jonah that is, his death and resurrection, him being like Jonah, uh, effectively dead for three days and then being resurrected. The creation itself is a sign. The Psalms tell us that the heavens proclaim. God's glory. And yet the account of Ahaz is this sobering reminder that people can still resist responding rightly to God's signs. The human will can refuse to embrace faith. So the point is this. Nothing matters more than that we are people of faith in the Lord and that we continue to be people of faith in the Lord that we stand firm in our faith, especially when it is tested. The great sign of Christmas is that child uh, in Jesus, God is with us. Uh, When we respond to him personally in faith, God is with us personally. Uh, God is with us, therefore, more than just in name. He is with us through his indwelling spirit in our hearts. God becomes our ally in Christ, and he defeats our greatest enemies of sin and death. And thereafter he fights for us. He is with us, no matter what life may throw at us. And his timing is impeccable, and his provision is perfect. What do we sing in that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness? We sing this. All I have needed Your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And so for our part, God calls us to exercise that muscle of faith. In our crises, he calls us to be careful, to be quiet, to be calm, not to fear, and not to let our heart fail. So whatever test we face... The most important thing is that we stand firm in our faith. Whatever our decisions face us, whether they be big or small, we should think to ourselves what will this do to my faith? Will it help my faith or will it hinder my faith? We should be active, therefore, in nurturing the faith of others. And conversely, we should guard against any behavior or speech that damages the faith of others. Jesus warns, of course, of the severe consequences that flow out of causing others to stumble. He says it would be better for a millstone to be tied around our neck and for us to be thrown into the sea. So we must be careful in the way we behave and in what we say, ensuring we do not damage the faith of others. And this is what we should pray for ourselves and ask others to pray for ourselves. And this is what we should pray for others. Please, Lord, help me to cling to your word and to your promises, especially in the dark times. Please, Lord, help me to remember that you are good and that you are in control. Please, Lord, help my faith and the faith of my fellow people at church to grow and deepen over this next year are we praying that for ourselves and for each other? Because our faith is the most precious commodity we have and it carries us through from this life ultimately into the new creation where we will live forever joyfully together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, your word indeed calls us to live by faith and not to succumb to fear. Especially in testing times, uh, we pray that you would help each of us here to recognize our faith as being the precious commodity that it is. That we would nurture it, uh, especially reflecting on all the decisions we make in everyday life, both big and small. Thinking and reflecting on what is best for my faith in the face of faith of others. Help us, therefore, to nurture our faith for it to deepen in this coming year. Help us to remember to, in the crises, look to you and to trust you, we ask. Amen.